Stroud watching for the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown, Smith and Jigba. Are you kidding me? Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. Two thousand seven. Is that you? It was a drama-filled weekend on and off the field across the sport as three top ten teams went down on Saturday. The pages finally being turned in Lincoln as the Scott Frost era came to a close. We'll get into the college football stock market and decide if we should buy, sell, or hold. This is the Saturday Cadence Podcast. Blake Biscardi and Dave Worth. I'm with you. I want to get started with reactions to a wild Saturday of college football. So, Dave, what is your biggest takeaway from the weekend after everything we just saw? Man, that was a really fun weekend, um, top to bottom. Uh, first, you start, you know, you look at Alabama and Texas, you know, one that went down to the final seconds. Um, you had Appalachian State on the road with a big upset. Um, Michigan with a big win over Hawaii. J.J. McCarthy and Cade McNamara still in that quarterback controversy. Um, you mentioned Nebraska, of course. Scott Frost is out. Uh, several other big stories around the country. So Blake, I'm excited. Uh, looking forward to this show. And uh, I want to hear your thoughts, what you kind of took away from week three. Me too. I mean, just watching everything, it started right away with Alabama and Texas. And I, full disclosure, thought Alabama was going to wipe the floor with the Longhorns, even though it was in Austin. But Texas really impressed me. Alabama didn't play particularly well. But seeing that fight from Texas was, that's kind of what we expected out of Nebraska this year. But obviously, that's not the case. But uh, it was good to see for Texas to have them back. And then, yeah, J.J. McCarthy being named the starter at Michigan, I think that's what we all expected. That's the right decision. So happy to see that on that front, that Harbaugh made that decision. And then, I mean, how about Appalachian State over Texas A&M? I know at the end of the show I called them to cover and everything, but they took it to A&M the entire game. They completely controlled the clock. And I was very impressed with them and and we'll, I know we'll get to AM in a minute with Jimbo Fisher, but after all those top recruiting classes and you go and get bullied by Appalachian State at home, you don't even have 100 yards passing or rushing individually. And that, that's a red flag to me. Yeah, and of course, we, we didn't really mention much of Notre Dame, but, uh, you know, a, a tough loss. There's no other way to describe it. A tough loss to Marshall at home. Marcus Freeman still has yet to win a game. Uh, I look forward to getting into that more as well. But Blake... Uh, maybe the biggest news of, of the week was Scott Frost and his tenure in Lincoln ending just a few weeks before he was uh, his buyout dropped about $7 million. So he's going to get to keep all that. Uh, Blake, I want to hear your thoughts on Frost being done, uh, who they could look to replace him with, and, and kind of how Nebraska, Nebraska fans should be looking at all this. Yeah, I mean, after they lost to Georgia Southern last week, you knew how that game was trending. You kept seeing the score updates all right, like he has to win this game. I mean, we already know his seat was burning hot and they don't get it done. They go up 642 yards of offense and you're just sitting there like, all right, is this going to happen now? Are they going to do the right thing and let it happen now? Or are they going to wait and then wait for his buyout to drop in two more games? I think the fact that Nebraska did it now showed that they're not scared of, like money's not going to be an option basically going forward. I know you're in Nebraska, you're a big school, you're a perennial power, you're in the Big Ten. Um, now, if you look down the Big Ten's media deal, it's the most lucrative conference now. 
So you're going to have all that money coming in. So I, I think it shows that Nebraska is ready for change. They're ready for, they're ready to move forward and turn the page and start fresh. And I think a top name that you have to look at is Matt Campbell out at Iowa Sano. His stock might've dropped just a little bit over the last year or so, but I think he's someone that you have to almost make him say no in that fact, because there's not a ton of names out there right now. And I know this will change as the year goes on, but I really think Matt Campbell needs to be the top option in Lincoln right now. Yeah, that would certainly be an interesting hire. Campbell um, has stayed at Iowa State despite some overtures in the past um, and seems committed in Ames. But, you know, Nebraska is, like you said, a perennial powerhouse. They're a longstanding name in college football. Um, and that, for me, at least, would be a hard offer to turn down. Um, I saw some fans on Twitter clamoring for a guy maybe like Dan Mullen, uh, who got it done really at Mississippi State, uh, went to Florida, didn't really have the same success there. Uh, but kind of a bounce back candidate. Then I saw some other names be thrown out. I saw uh, RJ Young, everybody's favorite on Twitter, uh, with the Larry Johnson uh, name thrown out there, Ohio State's defensive line coach, who I guess he doesn't realize is uh, getting up there in age. Uh, but that could be an interesting name, I guess, if, if RJ has any real say about this. Yeah, I, mean, I consider RJ Young kind of the tabloids of college football. He's just there for clickbait and to get a rise out of everybody with some heinous headline that's going to get everybody's attention. It's like, what? There's no way. I, I don't think Larry Johnson is. He wants to be a head coach. He said he's content at Ohio State. He loves Ohio State. That, that's what he's great at. I I don't see him being a candidate out there. But it, it's certainly interesting to see his name put out there. And, and a guy like Dan Mullen, too, could he be a good fit there? I personally don't think he would be a good fit in Lincoln, just of what Nebraska is and how, just given Dan Mullen's past and all, I, I just don't think that would work out. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. It'll certainly be an interesting storyline uh, to follow here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Blake, one more question. On Nebraska, you know, if you're one of the players here, I, I, I was listening to a little bit of Trev Albert's press conference, as you mentioned, how they had to make this change for the seniors who have been in the program a long time and, you know, had played most of their career now under Scott Frost and, and losing a guy like that, you know, who you bought into. You know, players nowadays obviously have the option to transfer almost at will. Um, and the fact that those seniors stayed in that program, obviously it means something to them. Uh, kind of want to get your thoughts on, on where do those guys go from here uh, with Mickey Joseph now leading the charge? I mean, as the, as the senior class in there, you've already invested so much of your career into that place and you, you're going to take a lot of pride in Nebraska now. And I know that things didn't work out with your head coach and everything. And I know I'm sure they love Scott Frost and that they just had their differences of how they just couldn't get it done on the field, five and 22 and one score games. It's frustrating, but I think they've put so much work into it. It's going to be a pride thing for them of can they save the season. So I think, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to all hit the portal midseason, but I think they're really going to rally together around Mike Joseph and they're going to kind of salvage this season in the best way that they can. I don't know if it's going to be enough to win the West or to make a bowl game, but I, I really do think they're going to come together and rally around each other and just and really play for each other. Yeah, I mean, a, a good Nebraska team, is just good for the sport. Um, and another thing that probably would have been good for the sport, but didn't quite turn out to, to be that is Texas and Alabama uh, coming down to the wire. Alabama holds on for a sneaky victory on the road. And you know, you look at that game, Blake, and you kind of think that, you know, if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt, Texas probably wins that game. Uh, you think maybe if some calls went the other way, Texas probably wins that game. And then you think of there at the end, if Ryan Watts can just get that sack, 
you know, maybe Texas wins that game. They were so close. They played Alabama really well. Thoughts on that game? I look at the game and I really wanted to digest all the questionable officiating. And because that's what you hear everyone on social media, like you just said, like, oh, Texas would have won if. Okay, well, when I looked at the stat sheet, and I, I was watching the game too, but when you look at the box score in the stat sheet, you see Texas was in the red zone five times. They missed a field goal right before the half, and Xavier Worthy dropped a touchdown earlier in the first half. If they convert one of those two things, that's going to give them the score advantage over Alabama. Not to say they still would have won the game, but let's say they score that touchdown. That now changes Alabama's strategy in the second half on they can't kick that field goal later because they would be down more, more than a field goal. So like they couldn't do that. So it would have changed the outcome of the game. And Texas had the opportunities in the things that they could control to win that game. I think we saw a great effort from the Longhorns, and it's good to see that they're on the rise, that they've made improvements under Steve Sarkeesian, and that they're going to be coming back. And as they kind of transition into the SEC, that they're going to be able to contend with teams like Alabama. That's a good measuring stick to see. So I was pleased to see that kind of performance from the Longhorns because it's been a while since Texas has been has been back. I mean, you know, they beat Notre Dame a couple of years ago. They're like, we're back. And then they're not. Then they beat Georgia. Hey, we're back again. Well, you got to sustain it when you're back. And I think they're now on the pathway to being back and regularly in that conversation for the playoff, the expanded version. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I like what Sark is doing. It seems like he's kind of brought in his guys uh, here over the last couple of years, and it seems to be working out. Overall, at least, you know, last year they had some struggles losing to Kansas. Uh, but this is a, a big statement, even if they weren't able to pull out the win. Um, it shows that they can hang with the best of the best. Alabama obviously rolling in at number one. Um, and it shows that they could be a, a contender here in this year's Big 12 and then in the future in the SEC. You know, like you said, it is going to be a struggle for them in that conference. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that turns out when it's all said and done. Um, you know, Blake. One more thing on the, the opposite end of the spectrum, Texas looking good, Texas A&M, not so much. Tough loss at home, Appalachian State. Um, I, I saw a good comparison actually on, on Twitter, which somebody said that Appalachian State is is the Gonzaga almost of college football, which I thought was kind of interesting. It does seem like, you know, they always get to 10 or 11 wins. They always end up doing pretty good uh, regardless of the coaching turnover, player turnover. Um you know, Appalachian State constantly kind of wins these big games, and they, they just went on the road and, and won another big one against the top five Texas A&M team. Yeah, I mean, I actually saw someone tweet on Twitter that they were like, I know we talked about it last week, saying, why do you – like, if you schedule Appalachian State, you wake up in the morning with a pit in your stomach. Well, I saw someone after the game say, if you are in a, if your stadium holds over 100,000 fans, do not schedule Appalachian State because that script is now being written every time. They came in to Kyle Field and outmanned Texas A&M, completely outmanned. Like A&M's had four, I think four straight top 10 recruiting classes, and Appalachian State has had one inside the top 100. I think it was ranked 61st. So, I mean, personnel-wise, A&M has 100% better players everywhere. But Appalachian State went in there. They played ball control. They controlled the clock the entire time. AM went, I think, nine game minutes without a possession in the second half just because that it was a punishing drive by Appalachian State just going right down the field. And it wasn't anything flashy. They just took it to them 
And I really think that that's cause for concern in the AM program because is Jimbo Fisher really the coach you thought he was? Or when he won the national championship at Florida State, was he carried by a really good quarterback in Jameis Winston? So those are some of the questions that they need to be asking themselves and reflecting. I know he has this huge contract and all, but they have the players on the team right now. Like They beat Alabama last year. You know they're good enough to do it, but they just can't sustain that greatness at all. And that that really is cause for concern. That's problematic for me if I'm looking as an A&M fan or someone around that program in the athletic department. You know, Blake, it really seems like over the last couple of years, it's almost become more of a quarterback game. Um, you look at what Jimbo did at Florida State with Jameis Winston. Um, you look at what uh, Oregon did with Marcus Mariota. Um, the quarterbacks who have won national championships recently, Trevor Lawrence, Bryce Young, Joe Burrow. Um, these guys are all going to be playing on Sundays, and it didn't really used to be like that. You know, in the past, you had Ohio State win a national championship with Craig Krenzel. You had Chris Leak and Tim Tebow at Florida, who obviously Tebow had a wonderful rookie year, but didn't do much on Sundays after that. Um, even Alabama had a guy like Blake Sims playing quarterback in the first college football playoff. Um, it just seems like in recent years, it's almost shifted to where you need an elite quarterback in order to be a perennial powerhouse program. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And you've seen that over the last couple of years since about Cam Newton uh, got on the scene with Auburn. And the only way you can really get around not having an elite quarterback is last year. Uh, Georgia had Stetson Bennett, and now Stetson Bennett looks much better. He's gotten reps with the ones. I mean, he won the national championship last year, so he has that experience. And he can certainly play himself out of that category. But Georgia had that generational defense last year. So if you have a generational unit on your team like Georgia did, that would be your way around that. And I don't see Texas A&M having that generational unit to kind of, you know, make up for the lack of quarterback quarterback play that they've had there. Yeah, no, I, I, I think he needs an elite gunslinger and quarterback. Um, we'll see. I mean, it's almost seems inevitable, right? I mean, it took, uh, took a while for Georgia to kind of get their perennial unit. So we'll see uh, if Jimbo can do it anytime soon as well. Yeah. And then um, I just kind of want to talk about this while we're here. We saw Texas A&M. We just talked about, we talked about Notre Dame. Um, we mentioned Oregon a couple of shows ago, how they've been disappointing with Bo Nix. Preseason rankings. I really think this year is a great example of them not mattering. And you have like these off-season trophies that we're just handing out by ranking teams like that in the top 10. We just saw three top 10 teams lose. And I know that upsets happen. But they just look like teams that were ranked too high that just do not belong there. So if you kind of started the rankings fresh this week, I think that top 25 looks different than it does now just because of those preconceived notions. If we look at the product that has been put on the field already, I think those rankings look completely different than what we saw in the preseason. And it's why we really shouldn't get a rise out of those preseason rankings too much. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, we can just call it like it is. It just seems like it doesn't really matter much. Um, in the grand scheme of things, you know, once if you win your games, you're going to make the college football playoff if you're a big conference team. And if you're a, a group of five team, you know, good luck. You know, you'll even if you go undefeated, you look at a team like UCF who didn't get in, although obviously Cincinnati did last year and remains the one exception. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't really put too much stock in the preseason rankings. Um, the first rankings that really matter to me, not even the AP poll, it would, it would just be when the college football playoff committee unveils. Uh, their first rankings. Um, so, you know, I don't really pay attention to it. I don't think it matters. Uh, it's great 
you know, just to always have more football content and things to talk about. But at the same time, I, I really don't think that the poll itself matters too much. Yeah. And I want to transition into this segment that I was going to save for a little bit later in the season, but just given the makings of Saturday last week, I want to do a, a segment called buy, sell, or hold. And I know you just said you're not putting your stock in preseason rankings, but I want to see where you are going to put your stock. Nice. So I've got a couple names. It's a mix of head coaches, uh, teams, and conferences. So the first one is Marcus Freeman. Are you going to buy, sell, or hold your stock? Okay. From an economics perspective, I'm going to buy. I'm buying the dip. He, he literally can't really get any worse unless he continues to lose, but I'm confident that he will win a game at some point. Um, maybe he'll get to do a bowl game this year. I predict they're going to go seven and five, make a bowl game. Um, I mean, they can't possibly be this bad the whole year. I think that Tyler Buckner going out will kind of change things, actually. And I think it might help them in the long run. Obviously, I hate to see anyone get injured. Um, but that'll be interesting to see with Drew Pine now at quarterback, uh, how Notre Dame changes things up as Marcus Freeman, is, his head's got to be spinning here. Um, so I'm going to buy him. I'm buying the dip. I'm with you. I would buy as well. And I think that Buckner being out is going to change the narrative around the team in the season. And it kind of gives them that quote unquote fresh start so they can kind of use this next game as game one. So my next one is USC. Are you going to buy, sell, or hold USC stock? I'm buying USC. I think they're going to win the Pac-12. Um, Utah already lost. Um, Oregon looks pretty bad. Um I'm buying USC. I think they have the most talented team, and I think they're going to win the Pac-12. Yeah, we definitely saw the impact of Lincoln Riley immediately on that offense against Rice, and then last week against Stanford. That was that evaluator game last week against Stanford. Not that I thought Stanford had a shot to win that game, but just to see how tough USC was and if they could still put up those kind of points. I know their defense was a bit lackluster at times, and Stanford drove up and down the field, but their offense is going to score points on just about anybody. And I don't know if Utah's going to have the horses to keep up with them if that game turns into a shootout. So we touched on Jimbo Fisher earlier, but I want to know if you're going to buy, sell, or hold on Jimbo Fisher, knowing the recruiting classes he has just brought in in the last two years. I'm going to hold this one. Um, I'm not confident that they're ever going to get to national championship level. Um, I am confident that they can get to a New Year's Six Bowl. I think they can be that second-tier team in the SEC behind Alabama, Georgia, and then that third team that pops up every year. I think they could be the fourth or fifth-best team consistently in the SEC and make one of those high-leverage bowl games that are just below the playoff. Obviously, the playoff will expand in a few years, but uh, you know, I could see them kind of sneaking into that 12th spot, honestly. Uh, tell you the truth, they, they could get there. Jimbo does have the talent. If he can find a quarterback, that's all that he needs. He just needs an elite quarterback, carry that offense, make him a scary team to face every single week. Um, so I'm going to hold on Jimbo for now. On that note of finding a quarterback, Michigan just named J.J. McCarthy the starting quarterback. Hypothetically, if Cade McNamara enters the portal, does AM get him and would he start right away? And what impact would he have on that team? I think he would start right away, but I don't think that's the game-changing quarterback that they need. Okay. Next, I want to talk about Texas. What are you going to do with the Longhorns? Uh, it's either buy or hold. Uh, I'm not going to sell them at this point. I think uh, I think they're, they're trending upwards. I'm going to hold because Quinn Ewers is out for a while. I will hold this stock until next year and see what happens. I think they could be really good. 
I'm with you. And finally, Arkansas. Sam Pittman's doing a tremendous job in Fayetteville. I like Arkansas, but I'm going to sell. They can't beat Alabama. They can't beat Georgia. I agree. I think the SEC, particularly the West Division, has that second-best team on rotation. You know, one year it's LSU, one year it's Auburn, one year it's A&M, one year it's Mississippi State, maybe this year it's Arkansas. And I, I just don't think any of those programs are ready to take that next step, so I'm with you. Yeah, it's just not sustainable, which is unfortunate. I like what they're doing. I like K.J. Jefferson. Um, but, yeah, no, they, they, can't, they can't be one or two in the SEC right now. Right. Do you see a surprise team coming out of the SEC East like a Kentucky? Well, Kentucky is – seven and five, eight and four, pretty much every year now. So all it takes would be, you know, a couple of those games to swing their way and they can find themselves with 10 wins. Um, but no, I, I don't think this is the year for it. Although I, I do like uh, what Tennessee's doing. Obviously Georgia will reign over that division for a long time. Um, but some of the other teams in that division are starting to make a little noise, which is good to see. Um, there's others like Missouri that will, you know, be very bad for a long time. Vanderbilt, um, Vanderbilt actually plays Alabama and Georgia. Um, I think it's, back-to-back weeks so that should be a tough couple weeks to be a commodore uh but uh you know i I think the sec east is starting to make strides but um i don't think they're ever really gonna pop out and assert themselves over the the west it's gonna be a humbling couple of weeks for the commodores there but uh yeah it is good to see a pulse in the sec east and you know that's a division that's been kind of lackluster in the last couple of years but if you look in the big 10 west that division had a pulse for the last couple of years. And I don't think you can resuscitate it right now. So where are you at with the big 10 West? I'm not talking about, are you going to buy? Are you going to sell? Are you going to hold it? What do you make of this mess of a division? Yeah. I mean, for years, since really the beginning of the divisions, the East has just dominated the West. Um, Ohio state, Michigan, Michigan state and Penn state seem to be four out of the five best teams in the conference every single year. Um, and then look at 2020, you see a team like Indiana, um, and they were probably up there as well, right, with those teams. Um, and the Big Ten West just doesn't have it. And, and you know, it's maybe some of that is that the, the programs aren't as historically dominant. Obviously, you got Nebraska in there, but they haven't really been good since joining the conference. Um, and then you get a lot of teams like Minnesota and Wisconsin uh, who have had success over the years, but it hasn't exactly been elite success, national championship level success. So, it always seems like they're one or two steps behind. Um, you know, they're still playing football that was played in the mid two thousands when it worked out for them. Um, you know, football's not really played like that anymore. And I think that's why they continue to struggle. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens there. At least it's anybody's division. It should be fun to watch. Yeah. And really since, or actually, let me say for the last couple of years, the big 10 championship game has been a formality for the winner of the big 10 East round Robin. Yep. And I don't think it's going to be any different this year. I mean, it's really whoever decides to win that tournament of, of games between Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State. And this year is going to be no different. And it's almost a disservice to the East teams. But at the same time, that slate is so grueling that it's almost like, oh, it's like an Excel game. Like you come out of that division on top and you're like, perfect, we got it. We're going to head to the playoff or the Rose Bowl. I mean, like that's, played- that's pretty you look at a team like Ohio state and who they've played over the years. I mean, they played Northwestern twice and I know they struggled in 2020, but I mean, those are basically free games for Ohio state. Um, you knew they weren't going to lose. Wisconsin got blasted 59, nothing. 
Uh, Michigan obviously beat Iowa last year. Um, it just seems like you said it's almost like a bye week. Yeah, I mean, I know Wisconsin and Northwestern have played the game competitively for a couple of quarters against Ohio State in recent years. But really the last actual competitive Big Ten championship game from kickoff to zeros was Penn State and Wisconsin back in 2016. And since then, it really hasn't done much. Right, and neither of those teams got in the playoff. Ohio State, who wasn't even in the game, got an over Big Ten champion Penn State and over Wisconsin, obviously. Um, so, you know, you just look at it in recent years and that game just hasn't really mattered a whole lot, which is a shame. It is because it's the second best conference and arguably the best conference, depending on year in the sport. And you look at the SEC and this is why the SEC is the premier conference right now is they get Alabama and Georgia. I mean, who's not watching that game? That game's going to be competitive from start to finish. And then you have Ohio state versus Iowa. I mean, who? It's not even a comparison of what the games are. And then you had last year in the Big 12, you had Oklahoma State and Baylor. That's a great game as well. Yeah, I mean, it's Oklahoma State and Baylor. I mean, it's a great – they're two great football teams, not the biggest names. Uh, but I want to see the Big Ten West kind of get back to relevance. It's just like I, like I was talking about earlier, it's just good for the sport uh, when those teams are, are playing good football. And to do so, I think they're really going to have to adapt here to 2022 football. We talked about Jimbo and the quarterbacks, but these guys just need to get up to modern times with their offense. I mean, they're still playing three yards in a cloud of dust football, which is fun to watch. I don't dislike watching it. And if everyone played like that, I would still watch, but it's just not what they do anymore. Yeah. They just completely have to have that overhaul of style and just leave it behind in the 1900s and the 20th century and kind of move on to more modern times. But uh, looking ahead to the week three slate, Let's start with the Big Ten West team. What's your outlook? What do you make of this game now between Nebraska and Oklahoma before we get into our picks? I hope Nebraska wins. It would be kind of cool um, for them to get a big emotional win after switching leadership. Um, I don't think they will, but it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, that was the game I circled on the schedule at even before the season, but once Nebraska lost to Northwestern, I was like, that game is going to be for Scott Frost's job. They're either going to play for him and win and save him, or he's going to be out. And he is out now, but I, I do think the seniors rally around. The line opened at 14. It's now down to 11 and a half already. Right. I, it's going to be competitive. It's a rivalry game, but Oklahoma's favored by 11 and a half. Who do you like? Oklahoma. Um, Brent Venables has looked good. Interested to see how he continues. Um They'll probably win the Big 12. I mean, Baylor goes down to BYU. I know it's not a conference game, but um, it kind of changes the outlook. You know, Oklahoma is really that that 1A right now. I'm with you. Now we've got another rivalry game, Georgia and South Carolina. The spread is 24 and a half. <laughs> I have this on there because it's a rivalry game. Do you think Georgia can cover? I do. Um, I like Shane Beamer. I think uh, he'll do good things there. Um but he's nowhere close to Georgia right now. I like the Bulldogs. I agree with you. And you look at Spencer Rattler, the opportunity that he had there to kind of come onto the scene and resurrect his career. And that's not happened yet. I don't see it happening this Saturday. I like Georgia as well. And then BYU last week, they had a big win over Baylor that we just mentioned in Provo. They now travel to Eugene to play Oregon. The Ducks are favored by three and a half. Can Bo Nix get a ranked win? 
I know uh, BYU had a couple of wide receivers out last week. If they play, I think BYU could go in there and win. Um, it just seems like Bo Nix, uh, kind of like Spencer Rattler, hasn't really figured it out. Um, BYU with a big win last week over Baylor. If they can do that, they could certainly beat Oregon. That spread seems a little fishy to me, though. I'm going to take the Ducks and the points, but I, I, in my heart, I think BYU will win, but that spread is too fishy, so I'm going to take Oregon with the points. I feel the same way as I looked at it. And really up and down the slate, the spreads are all kind of confusing. You're like, what does Vegas know that I don't know? BYU is coming off the emotional win. There's that old uh, saying, it's like, all right, if the team stormed the field last week, they're not going to win the next week. But I, in my heart, I think BYU could win, but I, I also like the Ducks going forward and I like them with the points. Then also down south now we have Auburn and Penn State. The Nittany Lions are traveling to the SEC country. Can they walk out of there with a win? They are favored by a field goal. Yes, I like them to win and cover. Um, Auburn's not very good. I don't think Brian Harson will be there much longer. Um, Penn State's better than people expected. Everybody was writing them off, and I never understand why, because they're always going to win at least eight games. Um, so I like the Nittany Lions in this one. Yeah, I like the Nittany Lions to win this game close as well. I think it's going to be by just more than a field goal, but I'm not sure if it gets quite to a touchdown. I think they've got good young talent on that team. They're going to, if they can find nine wins this year, they're going to set up for a great comeback next year to burst back onto the scene. I know Sean Clifford there for his 18th season this year. He's still leading the charge. Having a veteran quarterback is going to be key going into a raucous environment. That's why I like Penn State to win that game. And then if we continue in the SEC here, Texas A&M just got beat by Appalachian State this week. They now welcome Miami. And Mario Cristobal to Kyle Field. The Aggies are favored by five and a half. This is another one of those that's pretty fishy to me. It is fishy. And I've talked about my love for Miami so far this year. Um, haven't gotten a chance to see much of them, honestly. Uh, I like what Mario Cristobal is doing. Um, man, that is a fishy one. I'm going to take Miami because I like them more. I, I like Miami too. It's I don't know if AM is going to lose two games in a row at home. That's, that's my debate going back and forth with this is I know they don't really have the offense and that five and a half is like, man, that's right where I would put that spread of like, okay, I'm not comfortable picking A&M in this case. I'm going to do it anyway because I wouldn't be surprised to see them win by six. But I'm reluctantly picking A&M for the sole purpose of I don't think Jimbo Fisher is going to lose back-to-back games at home. Okay, well, speaking of Miami, I have one for you here, and that is, of course, the mighty Miami of Ohio Redhawks going into what is now Paycor Stadium, formerly Paul Brown Stadium, to take on the Cincinnati Bearcats on the banks of the Ohio River, right in the middle of Oktoberfest Cincinnati. Um, a lot of thousands of people will be on the street, thousands more in the stadium for that one. Like, big game here in 5-1-3. Cincinnati favored by 20.5. You like them or the Red Hawks? Miami and UC both 1-1. I like Luke Fickle and the Bearcats to stay on the right track. They are going to contend in the American again. It looks like they may be able to win it again. I like them to cover. Wow. Okay. Well, I will say that Miami had a – Huge opening win against Robert Morris last weekend at home of at Jaeger Stadium. So uh, the momentum is on their side. I'm taking the Red Hawks uh, to cover, not to win the game. I like it. And then finally with our picks tonight, 
Michigan State traveling to Washington. I had no idea Washington was favored in this game until I was going to write the spreads for the pick sheet. I don't get it, but can they pull the upset? I mean, it's a tough place to play out there. You got to make that cross-country flight uh, all the way from East Lansing out to Seattle, and that's not easy to do. They always see – it always seems like, you know, in baseball, the team plays worse when they go on the West Coast. Uh, You know, that time difference just seems to throw people off. So I'm interested to see this game. Um, I am going to take Washington on this one. I think it's another one that's fishy, but when you look into it, it's not really that fishy. I I just think Washington wins this kind of game at home. It's a 7.30 kick, so it's not going to be one of those Pac-12 after dark games. I am going to believe in Mel Tucker, and I'm going to take Michigan State in this game. Okay. Good week for uh, actually a better slate than than we thought this weekend. These games should all be fun and interesting. Yeah, the game should be good. And based on last weekend, you never know what could happen any given Saturday. Something can do. Just survive in advance, win your games, take care of your business. That's going to be the name of the game this season. Yep, very true. So, yeah, Dave, that's all I've got for you tonight. Great as always. Should be a good week ahead here in week three. Uh, Looking forward to the slate um, and looking forward to doing this again next week for week four. Absolutely, guys. And uh, make sure to like and subscribe, leave a review if you think we deserve it. We appreciate you guys listening to us. And this has been the Saturday Cadence Podcast.